KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Hey, everybody, I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer. I'm Sabrina Boyd Serka. And welcome to the John Cast. It's February 7th, 2022, and here on the John Cast, we do celebrate black history and culture, not just during Black History Month, but year round. But since it is Black History Month, there's a lot of extra stuff happening in and around the city. Of course, naturally, the African American Museum is celebrating, you know. Of course. They're celebrating Black Joy as Resistance. That's their theme for the year. They're doing some film screenings, musical performances, learning through art, some living history events. So that's going to be pretty cool. One of the many things happening around the city. One of our favorite places to go as a family in the city. First of all, do I talk about my family too much? I might. I might have to. You can never talk too much about the family, man. Stop that. One of our favorite places is Smith Playground over in Fairmount Park. We love it. It's got the potato sack slide, great outdoor space. But they've got this really cool exhibit there right now about black Philadelphians. And, you know, there's profiles on some of the more well-known, historic black Philadelphians, Marion Anderson, John Cheney. But there's also exhibits showcasing the accomplishments of some black Philadelphians who have worked in city government and on other civic projects that have flown a bit under the radar that people can learn more about. So I think that's really cool. Hadas Kuznets had that story on radio and on the website. I'm just really excited to hear more about stuff going on in the city and suburbs the rest of this month. I heard Sabrina mention art there. Art is a big part of Black History Month, and Justin Udo has been keeping an eye on a few events, and he'll be joining us later on here on the Johncast to talk about them. But first, as always, we seem to have to at some point do this, so let's just get it out of the way now and talk about COVID. And we know there's probably a lot of COVID fatigue out there. I think we're all kind of tired of those five letters. But just for our friends in New Jersey and Delaware, they've got some important news. Let's start in New Jersey first, effective on March 7th. The mask mandate for schools and child care centers will be over. And in Delaware, mask mandates in public schools, private schools, child care facilities, they're going to end at 11.59 p.m. March 31st. So 12 in the morning, April 1st, y'all can go out and go crazy. (laughs) But that's in schools, if anyone's in school at that time. But even sooner, this Friday at 8 in the morning, Delaware is going to lift its mask mandate for all indoor public settings. I think that in some ways, as long as it's safe, this is going to be the mental health boost that a lot of people need. At the very least, just the reassurance that officials are saying it is safer to begin acting normal again. We do know that the Omicron surge is slowing down, so that's a good thing. I am cautiously optimistic. I am still going to be wearing my mask indoors if I don't know people's vaccination status, but we'll see where this goes. I know we've been dealing with a lot of the people just trying to hurriedly get the masks off at the first sign of any sort of drop in cases. All right, can we take the masks off now? It sounds like at least we have started to get to that reasonable point where we can start taking off masks and not just hurriedly just doing it just for the sake of doing it because some people didn't want to wear masks anyway. You know, guys, one thing I think we can do a better job of perhaps as a society is not always trying to find a one-size-fits-all solution to an issue. And (laughs) I think the pandemic obviously has shown to be one of those scenarios where you can't just have a blanket thing and throw it on there to get the right outcome. There's always different dynamics at play for different people. This was like Sabrina was talking about earlier. And I feel a story that speaks to that is a real interesting one that Jim Melward, our Suburban Bureau Chief, 
was covering last week, there was a hearing that came out of the Perkiomen Valley School District that made it all the way to federal court in Philadelphia. Jim was at the hearing for that on Friday. The Perkiomen Valley School Board voted to go from masks required to masks optional starting on January 24th. But a suit claiming the move violates the ADA was filed by families of three students in the Perkiomen Valley School District. A federal judge issued a temporary restraining order last week requiring masks in all PV school buildings and at all activities. In this hearing, Perkiomen Valley Superintendent Barb Russell walked through each step the district's taken over the past two years of the pandemic, explaining how decisions have been made to benefit students. Lawyers for the families who are asking to return to masks were all note the CD the PA Department of Health, and the Montgomery County Office of Public Health all recommend universal masking in schools, but several times Dr. Russell mentioned while they're concerned about student safety, there's growing evidence of increased mental health concerns for all students, especially at the secondary level. And guys, just this afternoon, the federal judge in this case overruled the Perkiomen Valley School District and instead sided with the families of the disabled children. So no more mask optional policy in the Perkiomen Valley School District. There are cons to every possible thing, you know, cons to wearing masks, cons to not wearing masks. Like, there's no perfect answer. And the thing is about this pandemic, it's not over just because you want it to be. And this is a case where, yeah, I mean, they're still trying to protect people, but at the same time, make it optional. And I can certainly understand if there are parents who don't feel safe with their kids not masking up, especially if they can't get vaccinated or either because of access or because of age. So hopefully that is changing soon, but not yet. But we're definitely working on getting there, too, and hopefully very soon. Now, we also have this really cool story coming out of North Philadelphia. A 16-year-old named Mikey Cooper is making a name for himself as an actor and a poet and a rapper. He's got a lot happening, clearly. I I didn't have this much happening when I was 16 years old. And he also writes for Jimmy Fallon's Kids Tonight Show on Peacock. He's got a role in a spinoff on 50 Cent's TV show Power, the show that everybody talks about, it seems, on Sunday nights on all sorts of social media. And he's also involved in an Amy Schumer project for Hulu. Now, KYW's Antoinette Lee caught up with Mikey for uh, Philly Rising last week, and he had some rather powerful thoughts about growing up in a really tough part of the city and how he's managed to... I would say get out of there. I never regarded myself under that label as a product of my environment. I always felt that I would bring the product to the environment. That is the mission to reshape that perspective that, you know, you all, that all North Philly is known for is killing and the homicide rates. And this city in general is just known for the homicide rates and all of that and how this is a hot spot for that. It's not. There's light in this city. There's beautiful light in the city. And I try to shine a light on that everywhere I go and be a walking representation of that. You know what I think is really great about Philly Rising, and this is a perfect example, is that we are showing successful people in these neighborhoods like North Philly. And I think the more that you see somebody in your neighborhood went and made a name for themselves, they're doing something really great and living their dream, the more that the people, the kids growing up in that neighborhood are going to believe in themselves and hopefully not turn to violence or drugs or perpetuate that cycle. You know, people need to see themselves represented in the world, doing good things. And here's a perfect, perfect example. Can we handle more good news? Should we do more good news to wrap up headlines? What? Two good stories in a day? Is that allowed? <laughs> Let us do it. We know in a perfect world, the birds would be playing in the Super Bowl, getting ready for the Super Bowl this week. That obviously is not happening for the Eagles, but they are finding, the Eagles are, ways to make other people happy. Last week, they gave a $100,000 donation to help female student athletes in the school district of Philadelphia get better access to equipment. KYW News Radio's Dave Uram talked with Jen Cavanaugh from the Eagles. 
through several conversations with local partners and nonprofits, we learned that you know, girls were having difficulty getting access to essential equipment, in this case being sports bras. And that was really keeping them from playing a sport that they loved with confidence. And we wanted to take that barrier down. So our ability to purchase $100,000 worth of sports bras with help from the NFL Foundation was critical in making sure that you know, approximately 6,000 girls and women who are in need of sports bras will have the ability to gain access to them. You guys obviously don't understand what it feels like to try to play a sport without a sports bra when you need one. And so I will, as the as the female in the room, say <laughs> this is important. These are things that often go overlooked because people don't like to talk about them. Things like sports bras or like periods that women have to deal with this kind of stuff when they play sports and and men don't, and so people kind of don't think about it, and I'm glad that we're thinking about it now. And there was another cool part of this announcement, too. The Eagles are also starting a flag football league for high school girls. It's going to involve 15 schools, 15 Philadelphia public and Catholic league schools, where the championships are going to be held at the NovaCare facility down in South Philadelphia. That's the Eagles practice facility just across from Lincoln Financial Field. So the Eagles are actually walking it like they talk it in terms of being able to do more for young women and girls here in the city of Philadelphia because they can be just as good athletes as anybody else. This is exactly what these multi-million dollar, check that, multi-billion dollar sports franchises should be doing, using their influence to elevate platforms that need help and putting their money that can help foster new programs and sports that bring equity and things like that. I love it. As the Eagles continue to do great things for the community, other things that are happening in the community this month are involving Black History Month, and we're celebrating black history and art in the area. And coming up in a few minutes, KWU's Justin Nudo is going to join us here on the John Cast to talk about a very special art installation happening out at the King of Prussia Mall. We'll have that coming up. You're listening to the John Cast. I'm Jay. I'm Brian. I'm Sabrina. And this is the John Cast, and we're into day seven of Black History Month, and we want to share some more ways of how you can celebrate and learn more about black history and culture, not just of African-Americans, but across the entire diaspora. And we're joined today by KYW's Justin Udo. Good to have you on here once again, sir. Thank you for having me. So, Justin, what's happening out there around the entire area? I guess we'll start in the city and work our way out to the suburbs. There, there is a lot happening, and it seems like each year the uh, Black History Month, it becomes more encompassing, it becomes bigger, and um, we have more organizations and things taking taking uh, a part of it. And a big thing this year, um, what we see around the city is people are, are able to kind of get back out and to look at things, to, to be able to enjoy things. And there is a special Harriet Tubman Museum, or I'm sorry, special Harriet Tubman exhibit down at Philadelphia City Hall. And so I kind of took a look at these different quilts they have down there, and they also have some different chains that were actually used on slaves. And um, so people can go down there and kind of look at that. And that led me to the Least We Forget Museum. And that's a, a museum dedicated to um enslaved uh, Africans and the Jim Crow era and really just um, shining a light on history in that way. So they're helping with things down at City Hall, which is really helping um, just show African-American and Black history in Philadelphia and in the country, um, things we have been through. Philly is clearly just throughout history, whether it was the Underground Railroad or all the way to the Civil Rights Movement to modern day issues. This city has been a focal point for a lot of that. And one of the places you also went to was, was the National Constitution Center. And you talk with the chief learning officer, Carrie Sautner, 
who's emphasized progress made over time and that it didn't stop the 13th Amendment, which, as a reminder, was the amendment that officially put an end to slavery here in the United States. We get to look at these amazing stories of African-Americans in our country over time, the amazing history and the connection to the Constitution to see the power of people and how they can make change with that document over time in some of the hardest situations, but also with the greatest hope and forward movement. Now, what are some of the points in history and some of the changes to the Constitution that these exhibits are looking at? The exhibits, they, as you as you talked about, the 13th, it also looks at the 14th, looks at the 19th. It looks like looks at voting rights and uh, women's voting rights and black women's voting rights. So it's taking a deep dive into these different parts of the Constitution that not just uh, guaranteed that we can no longer be enslaved, but that have guaranteed um, that we have other rights and that we're able to use them in different ways. And I think part of the uh, the the women's right to vote one just looked at um, when it came to the black feminism movement as opposed to the white feminism movement and um, just how they kind of needed each other. And, and oftentimes black women were left out, but had to push for their ways to, to be in, in different things. So it really, um, it, it looks at that and it looks at events. It looks at reconstruction. Um, it looks at a lot of the, these eras uh, in black history where not just things were put into the constitution, but whenever the constitution had to be used, those moments really were just real life, um, real life pushes. It's interesting when you think about it, because there was not even a 60 year gap between the end of slavery and women's suffrage in this country. A lot of this stuff wasn't that far apart. And there were people living in that time period where they lived through both of those in their lifetimes. And I think it's important to look at all of this as a whole and and history. You know, like we said earlier, it we made progress over time. It wasn't just that the 13th Amendment was signed and everything was equal and, you know, we're not even necessarily equal now. There's still a lot going I mean, on. That's so why think, we have Juneteenth is because the memo didn't right. get to certain places for a few years after the fact. There is there is a lot to talk about there. And the Constitution has changed a lot at various points in time. Um, I think it's also really cool that the Constitution Center is opening up for free on Monday, February 21st. I think that, you know, opens it up to to people who might not have the ability, the financial ability to go otherwise. Justin, do you do you agree? Is that is that kind of the goal to help to get people to come out who might not get the opportunity or have the interest or ability to go there at other times a year? I think that's that's a big part of it. Another is that that's a, a national holiday. It's President's Day, so it also gives families. Um, if you if you're off work and your significant other is and the, the kids are, it gives you a chance to you know really kind of come out and spend that day together and really learn. And I know a big thing that they're doing is not just gearing um, gearing these exhibits or gearing talks that they have for adults or or for for older people, but they they're really trying to make it um, friendly for um, a younger generation to really show kids from a young age. Um, different programs to help them get involved so they can learn and, and, and be more knowledgeable about it growing up and not just when they're older. Now, you were also out at the King of Prussia Mall, and this is a story that we had on our air last week. It was celebrating current work of black artists, specifically black artists in Montgomery County. Now, you went out to see the installation, what they had out there. What does it look like? Well, it's imagine it stretches uh, from from floor to ceiling, 15 feet high, storefront of just different artists, whether they're painters or they, uh, or whether they're poets, different things that um, about just the Black American experience to them 
and what it means and, and what it means to them as artists. And I think a big thing with this is it shows the diversity um, of being a Black American, how there is no monolith, how we, we have um, different backgrounds, we have different uh, upbringings, we have different ways we look at life, we take in life, and we experience life um, in this country. And so that's what I think people can get out of and understand when they look at one Black artist's work is going to be vastly different from another. It's just their different American experience that we all have. That's so interesting to hear you bring that up as we're sitting here on this podcast with three black people with three different backgrounds and three different stories. Yet oftentimes it is thought that black people have, as you mentioned, the word monolith always seems to come up, which we are far from a monolith as black people. While you were there, you talked to some of the artists whose work was on display. What does this mean to them? So we have uh, Abigail Kochi and Madera Talia, two black women. Um, two artists used in this. And I know with uh, Abigail, she's a, a senior at, at um, in college. It's a pre-med major and she deals with photography and talks about her Black experience um, being in pre-med and, and looking at photography and, and reflections of herself. First of all, I feel honored that I was even selected. So thank you. In my point of view, live photography isn't really well taken up in the Black community. So I feel like I'm honored that I can be like a symbol for people to start taking photography more seriously in our community. As opposed to Madeira, who who is a poet. And she um, she talks about her faith and faith being a big part of her life and, and carrying her at different times. It's just a wonderful perspective, I think, what is available in the Black arts community. Art, Blackness, boldness, love, nurturing, family, presence. From every part of this, uh, of this experience, you're going to get a different kind of vignette, a different look at, um, at Black American artists. So. Hey, Justin, how did this end up at the King of Prussia Mall? Well, they have what they did in uh, with the uh, Monco Arts. They had a storefront that they were using at different times to kind of just uh, bring awareness to the arts in Montgomery County and said, you know, what What better time for us to display the arts that, that a lot of uh, black Montgomery Countyans, I guess that would be the word, um, are, are doing and what they're presenting and really give them um, a spotlight. They said, especially during a time where their arts and culture um, bring in over one hundred million dollars to the to that county each year. And they want to highlight some of these artists who, you know, are struggling during during the pandemic and have lost a lot of money and people haven't um, been able to support them. So really a, a way for them to get their names out there, get their uh, faces and their work out there so people can take a bigger interest in the arts in Monco and the art coming from black artists in Monco. I think that's really cool. You hear so much about how retail space is really drying up, whether it's in center city or malls. I wonder if something like this is a way of reimagining how to use some of this vacant retail space. I think it's pretty cool. It makes me think about how, like at the Macy's, for example, in downtown Philly, like during the during Christmas, they'll put up the big Christmas displays in the window. Why not do this in other places and use there's so much talent to be able to put that on display? It's a really cool thing. And I know it's on display through March 31st. And you can go to KYWnewsradio.com to find out more about that art installation out in KOP, as well as what's happening with the National Constitution Center. It's cool that it is at this public space. I love art in public spaces because, like we said before, with the National Constitution Center having a free day, it makes it accessible to people who might not be able to pay for a ticket to see a museum. It also sort of it forces you to see it. You know, you're going shopping and you're going to see this art and you're going to start to think about like, this is great. We have some great black artists in the area as opposed to actively having to go to a museum and th- and plan that in advance. You just sort of happen upon it. And I think more people are going to see it because of that, which is really cool. But, Justin, 
I got to switch up the topic real quick for a second because you were at the reopening of the Forest Theater's box office this morning. And, you know, super theater nerd that I am, I have to ask, how did that go? It went really it went really well. You know, um, there were dozens of people stretched down the block for the reopening where Oklahoma will be playing at the theater next month. Oklahoma was first shown at the Forest Theater, we say back in 1945, and the price of those tickets was about seven bucks. And that's what the first hundred people were able to buy those tickets for today was seven dollars. So you really can't beat that. And they had some uh, some barbecue and different things out there, too. So really just kind of kind of um, getting people excited about getting back out um, to the theater. There's obviously going to be COVID precautions, um, just really trying to make it so that everyone can have a safe and a fun experience as they come out to see what's old is new again. Sabrina, I didn't know they were barbecuing out here at these theaters. I, I could have just, I mean, you could at least have told somebody ahead of time I would actually start showing up to more hey of man, these. I there, been... there, was, there was a free barbecue food truck out there. So. I would have been there if I didn't have to be preparing for this right now. So, so. Justin, clearly you're on top of a lot of things dealing with art and culture. And we would be remiss having you on here and not talking about one of the newest additions to KYW News Radio's lineup, The Artist Block. You're one half of The Artist Block along with the equally dynamic and talented Sheridan Howard. Tell us more about The Artist Block, how this came about, and how people can find it. Well, it came about, Sharon and I both have just a love for the arts. If you talk to me for 10, 15 minutes, it wouldn't be hard to tell. Um, but we, we both have a, a love and we wanted to have a presentation of, of art in Philly, not just the, the big museums or the, the big theaters, but really kind of tell a lot of stories and, and talk to some of the artists or different people or things that, that can be overlooked. So we wanted to present it in a different way, too. So instead of hearing the usual one person deliver a story on KYW once a week on Tuesdays, the artist block, it's Sharon and I really kind of taking a close examination and dissection of, um, of a different artist or different different art that's uh that's around and we um we're exploring a lot this month and i talked a little bit about the least we forget museum and we also are doing some things with the marion anderson um museum there's there's a lot that we're able to to get in to explore to see and really give some much needed light to to artists and to the arts and culture scene in philadelphia because it's really a pretty special thing it it clearly is and we can hear this on radio as well as on the odyssey app every tuesday it runs at least twice during Philadelphia's afternoon news, and it will also happen throughout the day on Tuesdays. That's the artist block. Make sure you can check out all of Justin's work, including his Udo haikus, at Justin Udo on Twitter. Justin, thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the JohnCast. Thank you for having me. And, you know, um, I would I feel like I need to ask this, too, since it's my first time doing the JohnCast. Do I get like a free like coupon for a cheesesteak or something like what's, 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 the, what's the JohnCast incentive? We got to get this brother a pretzel or something, at least. It's like, we need some water ice or something. <laughs> got to do something for this brother for his time to come in here on here. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. And that's it for today's JohnCast for this Monday. Thank you so much. And we'll be at it again tomorrow.